Welcome into another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broering with you. And for the fourth year in a row, Xavier will not play in the NCAA tournament. They've missed the last three tournaments, no tournament in 2020. And Rick, Xavier was not in the first four out, which tells me that Xavier wasn't even really close to making the tournament. Three weeks ago, they had a 97% chance to make the tournament. They went one and four in their next five games. The slide continued. The only team they beat was Georgetown, and they missed out. And you look at 2019 and how that season ended, probably in retrospect, the best season under Travis Steele so far. They were one charge call away in the Big East semifinal from playing for a chance to make the NCAA tournament as an automatic qualifier. 2020, Paul Scruggs gets hurt. 2021, Nate Johnson gets hurt. The last two years have been a collapse. And Xavier, again, misses the NCAA tournament. And it's, it's really hard to believe how far this team slid, given the talent level on this team that we saw in the non-conference season and how this season was setting up. After the non-conference season ended, it seemed like this Xavier team was pretty much going to be a shoe-in for the NCAA tournament, at least to make it in. What seed they were going to be, whether they performed well in the Big East tournament or not, that was up to discussion as we talked about going into the new year. But it seemed like Xavier had set themselves up to, at the very, very least, get a eight or nine seed in the NCAA tournament. I thought the floor for this ceiling was going to be or uh, the floor for this ceiling. The floor floor, is the ceiling, Paul. The floor is the ceiling. That's exactly right, right. Rick. I thought the floor for this team was a nine seed, and they ended up missing the tournament altogether. There is a lot to get to in this podcast. Let's start, Rick, before we get into the Butler game. Let's start with how Xavier missed this tournament in the sense that they were not even in the, the first four out and all of the bubble watching and everything for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was really all for naught because Xavier ends up as a two seed in the NIT playing Cleveland state on Tuesday night at nine o'clock at Cintas center. Yeah. I think uh, there are a couple things that kind of stood out to me after selection Sunday was over. And that was one, like you said, Xavier wasn't even in the first four out. So what that tells me is the win over Butler might not have been enough in the Big East tournament. They might have needed to go on to win Providence. Also, it tells me that the eye test is significant for the members of this committee. They no longer have last 10 games on their team sheet as an actual metric and something they are tracking, but they are human beings with eyes. And as we've discussed on this podcast before, Everybody tunes into college basketball and starts focusing on it more those last two months, month and a half, whatever, wherever you want to draw that line. But it's always after the NFL season, once we start getting into the real nitty gritty of conference play, that's when everyone decides who you are as a basketball team. It's human nature. And yes, they're supposed to look at the whole season. And yes, they're going to go back and dive into all the numbers and they're going to count that win over Ohio State early in the season. But the eye test over the last month and a half mattered greatly for Xavier. And as we had talked about, anyone who had watched this team would look at them and say, that, that's not a tournament team right there. I, I think that's fair. It, to me, it didn't bother me that Xavier wasn't the first team out or the second or third or fourth team out. Like, there's not a big difference there. They, they were not an NCAA tournament team. I think that's basically the call the committee made. Now, 
if you start going through the actual like quad one, quad two wins and stuff like yeah. that, I have no idea how a couple of those teams are in theory ahead of Xavier on the S curve in, ter- in terms of like those first four yeah. out teams. Cause even at the end, like the very end on Sunday before the selection show, I'm going through some of the other teams on the bubble. Some of the teams that are going to be in the tournament looking at their resume compared to Xavier's. And I'm like, I mean, really the only argument to put this team in over Xavier or have them ahead of Xavier on the S curve, even if both teams are going to be out is the eye test because there wasn't really Xavier still had a better resume than a lot of these teams. If you're looking at that's not me arguing to get Xavier in the tournament by any stretch of the imagination. That's just saying, Again, I think the eye test really mattered to the committee, and it's a little more ambiguous than it used to be because they don't have to say, well, how'd you do in your last 10 games? They can kind of just look at two months and be like, or look at whatever period they want and say, yeah, not a tournament team in my eyes, because that's clearly what they did to some extent with Xavier, given the fact that they weren't even in the first four out. A lot of you listening may have been in the Twitter spaces last night that I was running to do a little bit of a therapy session for a lot of Xavier fans that were in there talking about how they felt with everything and how they went down. And Nick Kirby was in there and made an interesting point that Xavier losing to Butler really negated a lot of the optimism that came out of that Georgetown game where Nate Johnson hits seven threes, Adam Kunkel hits three, you know, two of your, your best shooters on the team combined for 10 threes. And then in the Butler game, neither one of them made a three and you were thinking, okay, maybe if you can continue some of that momentum from the Georgetown game and you blow out Butler, then you're telling the committee, okay, this team has turned the corner a little bit and there's, starting to trend back toward what they were early on in conference play. And then either they keep it close or they beat Providence. If they beat Providence, we're not even having this discussion they're in. And they, there may be, there there may be they're in as like a nine or 10 seed. Although interestingly enough, I mean, looking at how the rest of the bracket shook down, the committee did not seem to care at all about conference tournaments. No, I mean, look at Tennessee, yeah. look at Texas A&M. That's only one SEC tournament. Obviously, there's there's some yeah. other examples from other conferences. Those are the two that jumped out to me right away. I, I, I feel like there was very little emphasis put on conference tournaments, period. Now, I agree with you. If Xavier beats Butler and Providence, I'm pretty sure they're in. Although last night after the selection show was over, I started looking through it a little bit. And it gave me pause of thinking maybe they would just looked at how Xavier finished the regular season. We're like, no, not. Doing yeah, this. sorry. Yeah, but but for Xavier to go out and lay that egg against Butler on Wednesday night, that tells me that that's a Xavier team that's just regressed back to where they were before the Georgetown game. And it it was a team that hadn't changed. And now all of a sudden you're losing to Butler in overtime on Wednesday at Madison Square Garden, and you're the very first team sent home from the Big East tournament. Yeah, it was an epic collapse once again. I mean, that that game being that early in the day and just signaling such a quick end to the season again was rock bottom in a lot of ways for this program. At really any point, I've been around it. I mean, I can't think of another lower point in Xavier basketball since I've been doing this. The Xavier and Butler game on Wednesday at the Big East tournament was two Midwest teams starting off the tournament at 430. There wasn't a huge crowd there in MSG when the game started, but as the game was ending and into the last few minutes of the second half and into overtime, it was a really good crowd because St. John's was playing right after them. But for Xavier to be up by six with less than 50 seconds to go in the game, 
and then lose in overtime, just like they did last year. These seasons, 2021 and 2022, are scary similar in the sense of Nate Johnson getting hurt at a critical juncture of the season, right when the team needs a few wins and he gets hurt and goes out. Just like last year, that happened this year. And then this year, at the very end, not only did Xavier lose to Butler in overtime, but it was pretty directly attributed to a just bizarre foul at the end of the game. And last year, it was Chuck Harris that got fouled. And this year, wasn't it Chuck Harris that got fouled that hit no, those two was, free throws? It was Seamus, our boy Seamus Lukosius. Oh, was we it? talked about in last podcast, blowing up. And then he went for, what, 27 points? 27 points, yeah. And you and I said, don't, don't let him get hot. Yeah. Don't let him get hot. And guess what? He got hot. And uh, he, yeah, it, it just... But either way, the bizarre foul at the end of the game to last year it was Chuck Harris winning the game and this year it was to tie the game to send it to overtime but either way then you lose in overtime and it just it was like a mirror image it was a spitting image the next year so I explained that to a friend in the coaching industry who he called me up at after the Xavier game ended. he goes oh like that that's not good is it and I was like no it's not uh and then I said I'm sure you don't remember this but essentially the same exact thing happened last year against Butler in a game that very much felt like when in your the NCAA tournament at the time. Now we just talked about that may not have been true for the Xavier team looking back, but for it to end in such a bizarrely similar fashion and to have it be like a, let's call it what it is a boneheaded, dumb, dumb play where guys just don't understand the score or the situation at all. That's about as bad of a look as you could have gotten for the team, the program, the head coach, everybody. The optics of it are so bad to have everything crumble the exact same way, play the exact same team, who's even almost the same exact players. Everything about the situation was nearly identical. Other than this season being a complete disaster from the start and them having like a losing record, which I think we'll agree with this team was never really going to happen. This was about the worst case scenario for Travis Steele, I'd say. Oh, 100%. I would agree with that because there was optimism in the beginning of the season. And then all of a sudden at the end, there wasn't. In fact, but I mean, for it to be, for it to look so similar. Yes. Like you could yes. have ended up in the same spot missing the tournament and it just been like, hey, we, we switched it up. We ran a zone defense the second half of the year, made a little bit of a run after falling behind in Big East play, something like that. You know what I mean? Where it's just, it's different. Like, oh, Cesar Edwards really had a great end of the year, and he looks like he's going to be this big piece of the future going forward. We moved to a zone to get the big men to work better together. And then, yeah, like, you beat Butler in the Big East tournament, but it wasn't enough. You know, something like yeah. that. I think everyone could have – no one would be happy about Xavier missing the tournament again by any stretch of the imagination. But almost any other way, if you lose, there's a vision to sell. There's some way to spin it and twist it. The way this happened – in an identical fashion to last year and exactly what everyone was so worried about. It is as bad of a look as it can possibly be. Yeah. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. And I just can't wrap my head around the fact that Xavier was up by six with just over 45 seconds left in the game. And when Xavier was up by a couple points with, with two or three minutes left, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is going to come right back down to the wire. Is Xavier going to have what they need to close out this game? 
Paul Scruggs hits that fadeaway shot to beat the shot clock. And then Zach Fremantle hits a three. And I'm thinking to myself, and that's when I tweeted out that Paul Scruggs and Zach Fremantle, who were the two big, big East preseason, all first team selections, those, that was the point where I tweeted that out and said, those two guys are coming up in the end when they needed them most, which at that time, they at did. that moment in time, they did. Yep. And it looked like those two shots might have sent Xavier into the NCAA tournament, or at least into Thursday against Providence. But at the very end, up by six, you make four, you commit four turnovers and you missed five free throws in the last 50 se- 53 seconds of the game and lose an almost impossible fashion. But talking to other people around there and just the shell-shocked look on so many people's faces, both the media, the fans, everybody, and especially people that didn't care whether Xavier won or lost, but were just invested in the game as a basketball game. You have Big East people, like I said, the media people, everybody around. So UConn fans, that's what you're talking about. That's all that was there from what yeah, I understand. Yeah, UConn yeah, people, yeah. yeah. It, it was a lot of UConn people, yeah. But but just the, the shell-shocked look on everybody's faces. And I heard one analyst after the game say – that was a clinic on how to lose a game. Just the offensive foul, the turnover, the missed free throws, everything. Even when Xavier, they missed the free throws and then Kobe got the offensive rebound, then you're like, okay, they were given a second chance at life. And then he misses both free throws. It's just inexplicable how that was even possible to lose that game because You've seen plenty of times. It's college basketball, right? We joke all day. They're just kids. It's college basketball. Crazy things happen where you're up by two or three possessions in the last minute of a game. Things go wrong and you lose. But not too often is it because you are committing all of the errors. Butler did not win that game. Yeah, Xavier without, but, but Butler does not win that game without Xavier literally handing them that game. Xavier had to go out of their way to hand Butler that game because Butler did not make any winning plays at the end of regulation. So they they tied the game with free throws. They did not make winning plays. And that is what is most frustrating to me if I'm Xavier. 100%. And to go back to the Paul Scruggs point real quick, I, I legitimately feel bad for him, and it legitimately sucks that that dude hit one unbelievable fadeaway from the corner. And then after it looked like they were in trouble, he makes that unbelievable and one finish at the end to look like, okay, he saved them. After all, it felt like such a good way, even if you know they lose to Providence and what have you, it felt like, all right, there was... Paul was the guy in the end. He made the plays. He got he got the team a big win. It wasn't he wants to win NCAA tournament games and go on and make a run just like other great Xavier players have in the past. So it wasn't it wasn't going to be a storybook ending, but it was definitely better than the way this thing turned out. I mean, to have him be the one committing that foul and that he's going to think about that for probably the rest of his life. And there were three mistakes on that play too, Rick, in my mind that one he fouls up two and not up three. Two, he must have not recognized that he had four fouls because 
if he knew that, then he could have turned around and said to somebody else, hey, you foul instead of me. And then whoever like, hey, we're not fouling. We're only up two, brother. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So there's a communication error there. And then three that you could argue that if he was told to foul, that they could have waited to tell him that until after he made the free throw and maybe they take a timeout. Now, that's that's a little bit of a different circumstance, but still, those are three different things on that play that you could point to. Yeah, Mad Dog on the board brought up the whole thing about how Steele should have never said anything before the first free throw. He should have waited till you find out if you need to foul first, if he makes them, and then you call the timeout. I said first free throw. There was only one. It was an and one, but you get my point. Yeah. Yeah. You wait, you wait until after he makes it. So, you know, you need to foul, you call the timeout and then you tell him that I, I get where he's coming from on that. And ultimately hindsight being 2020, you could say, oh yeah, still should have known to do that. I would also argue fifth year senior, you know, like to me, it's on the player to know the score of the game. We, you start playing situations like that out in middle school basketball fouling at the end of game situations. You watch basketball your entire life. If you've played as long as these guys have your basketball IQ has to be a little bit better than that in that type of situation. It just it. like yeah. to me, that's on Paul. I'm not saying there's, you know, you're, you're, you're right. That it may be a better situation to wait, make the free throw there, call time out. Now, granted, you call timeout, you're giving them a chance to set something up too. you know, depending yeah. on how you feel about that. But I'd be, I'd be fine calling timeout, setting my defense, telling our guys, Hey, no fouls, just to be clear, all that type of stuff. So I get that side of it. But it makes sense to me to expect your fifth-year seniors to like, hey, if we're up by three, we're calling smack, which means intentionally foul to put them at the line so they can't hit a three. I don't think that's too much to ask on the fly of a fifth-year senior or anybody at this level of basketball personally. So there's plenty things that can be pointed – the coaching staff can be pointed at and said, hey, they screwed this up or they should have done this differently, should have done something else here, played this other guy. To me – telling Paul Scruggs to foul if he makes his next free throw. That's pretty standard one-on-one stuff here at the vision one basketball level. Yeah. And, and it's just to it's 66, 60 with 45 seconds left. And with 44 and a half seconds left, Butler hits two free throws to bring it within four and Bo Hodges fouls out. And then as you get into overtime, Chuck Harris, Aaron Thompson fell out too. Now Xavier had three guys fell out, but Butler beats you in overtime without Bo Hodges, Chuck Harris, and Aaron Thompson. It was basically Simos Lukosius who beat Xavier in overtime. And I, I just, I just can't, I cannot wrap my head around the fact they let that happen the way it happened. It is just almost impossible to believe. And I, I know I said that a minute ago, but man, it just watching it all play out in real time and the way everybody started to tense up and get nervous. That's the other thing too. I, I think that if Xavier wins that game against Butler, that there's this weight lifted off of their shoulders and maybe they play with a little bit more of a a, a free-flowing style of basketball that you kind of saw against Georgetown. But every time Xavier had to win a game this year, every time they had to play their best, they just played really tight. 
And that's exactly what happened at the end of that game. And I, I, a lot of that was mental. A lot of those mistakes at the end of that game were mental. I don't know how much of it was physical and missing the free throws or how much of it was those guys mentally overthinking what they were doing from the free throw line to miss that many free throws. Xavier missed 11 free throws in the last minute of the game in overtime. Yeah, they shot that is four, a bonkers number. 45% from the line. I, that, this isn't meant to be mean or directed at any individual person. That's called a choke job. Yeah. You miss free throws like that, and that's choking in its like purest form. There's no other way to say it. Yeah. I, I just, the, the one thing to go back to the overtime, and we probably need to move on because no one really wants to break down the Xavier Butler game for this long. They want to move on and talk about the impact and everything of, of this postseason, what's going to happen in the offseason. But Seamus Lukosius, first possession of that overtime, or very early on, I think his first bucket of the overtime, maybe, takes Colby Jones one on one, just like, bullies him right into the lane, goes by him, and either gets an and one or finishes over top of him, whatever. And it's like, what, what's going on with Xavier defensively? Where, How have they gotten to this point where Colby Jones and Dwan Odom can't get a stop to save their lives? They can't guard the ball. One. It's, it's one thing when Seamus is doing that to Adam Kunkel. Right, you understand a little bit. You're giving some trade-offs with Adam Kunkel. He started at Belmont for a reason. Heck of a ball player. Can give you an offensive spark. But you understand you're giving up something on the defensive end. I don't understand how... Seemingly, no one on this team can ever guard the ball now. Earlier in the year, they could a little bit. All of a sudden, end of the year when things got bad, it's like no one can get a stop one-on-one. No one can guard the ball individually. There's no reason for a guy like Colby Jones or a guy like Dwan Odom to not be a good, tough, physical defender. They yeah. don't have one of those guys right now. Who's the defensive stopper on this team? Colby would be the answer, maybe. Maybe. If that, that's like maybe. the best defender, I think, and most versatile. And that's what I'm talking about. He's getting just tanked by Lukosius off the dribble. And no, that's a, a lot of, th- a lot of failures there down the stretch. That was one that really stuck out to me of like, when people try to do the identity thing, or what is this staff actually good at? What have they brought all? And when, when they, when like people get into questions like that, a lot of times I'm like, all right, all right you know, what are we talking about here? But that's one thing that I point to. I go, that's like a, who we are as a culture and who we are as an identity thing right there of like just not being able to guard the ball one-on-one at all with Adam Kunkel or with uh, Zach Fremantle on the perimeter. That's one thing with Colby Jones and, and Dwan Odom getting blitzed off the bounce by guys like Lukosius. It's a little bit different. And it is it, to me, it does speak to more of like an identity and culture problem to some extent. I was talking to one former Big East player that was at the Big East tournament this week, and I was asking him in his eyes what he thought was different about this Xavier team than some of the Xavier teams that he played against. And he was telling me that he goes, man, I remember playing against Xavier when they just had really big, strong, tough, big guys. He goes, I remember playing against Jalen Reynolds, James Farr. He goes, Matt Stainbrook, even Tyreek Jones. He goes, we would go up against those guys. And he said, those guys were huge. He goes, they were tough. They were physical. They were intimidating. They were imposing. He goes, Xavier doesn't have that right now. And he said, in fact, he made one interesting point. He goes, I remember walking into the Cintas Center and seeing the bench press numbers that the Xavier guys were putting up. And he goes, that that would always stand out to me and seeing those big guys and how tough and physical and imposing they were. He goes, Xavier doesn't have that right now. Now, part of that is due to the style of play. And, it, it, you know, I don't think, and I would necessarily take anything away from a guy like Jack Nunji 
and his ability to shoot, stretch the force, step out in the style that they're trying to play through him like that. But when you look at a guy like Zach Fremantle, who was coming into his Xavier career, supposed to have that kind of a toughness and an edge and the New York style of play and all that, that comment really stuck out to me this week. I think a lot of Xavier fans have felt that way all year and probably going back to last year too, but we've heard it more come out this year because it's now a a trend, a pattern, a a continuing thing. I I think that's dead on. I mean, that's a really good insightful take from an outsider right there about, again, if you're searching for one of those cliche type things, like what's this team's identity or whatever, which I'm never big into. I don't really know exactly what that means. A lot of times, except in this situation, like the whole toughness strength thing, I do think to a certain extent, that's like who you decide to be. Yeah. John Miller decided to be one of the toughest teams in the country when he was coaching. And that's, I, you know, there's a whole lot of talk about Sean Miller going on. And I know he's more than a God on our message board to to a lot of people, (laughs) but that part he had figured out whatever it was. I don't necessarily agree. I don't even know if his style of play is all that great in today's game. I do know that as far as that, we will be a tough team. He knew how to do that. And that seems to be lacking with the current group right now, for sure. Yeah. Rick, anything else about the Butler game before we move on here? A lot more to get to, but is there anything else that you saw overarching thoughts, anything from Butler? No, I think I I would like to transition by asking you, what were your thoughts on the NIT bit? Once we knew Xavier wasn't going to be in the tournament, did you think they should have accepted an IT bid. Did you think they were going to? Were you shocked by it? What was kind of your whole take on that? Because I went back and forth a lot on this. I did. I went back and forth a lot, too. And I saw somebody on Twitter mention that, you know, Kentucky played in the NIT at Robert Morris. And there have been some NIT bids that you would think programs might decline that they have accepted. So for Xavier to think that they were too big for an NIT bid. I don't think that's the take here, but there may have been some validity to how much upheaval or lack of upheaval there would be in the program, depending on an NIT bid. I was interested to see, you know, if if there's going to be a billion transfers and a billion coaching changes, and this program is going to look a lot different on Friday than it did on Sunday, then maybe it makes sense to not play in the NIT and just get the off season going. But, and then that's not to say all of that can't happen. I don't have any inside information. I don't know that I'm not implying anything there, but that was something that I was looking for that if there was going to be a ton of change and this program was going to have to do a 180 in the next 96 hours, then maybe you just skip having to play Cleveland state in front of 6,000 people on Tuesday night at nine o'clock. But I wasn't shocked that they accepted the bid. I just, I was interested to see what accepting the bid, what kind of implications that might have here in in the next couple of weeks. Um, You know, because if they win and then they win again Sunday, you're talking about an extra two or three weeks of the season. Now, if they lose tomorrow night to to Dennis Gates at Cleveland State at, at Cintas, then all this is kind of a moot point. Yeah, and that was kind of originally my first thought was, oh, my God, they're going to let this team come back to the Centos Center where it's already been a bit of a disaster over the last few weeks, save for the Georgetown game. Everyone was great for the Georgetown game. 
I thought they did. They were very classy on senior day after being a toxic waste dump the prior few games before that. I could not believe after that Butler loss that the first thought was like, yeah, let's have another home game against a mid-major when guys may or may not be locked in and, and ready for it, you know? So that was how I originally thought of it. Then I, I, I heard that, and I, I can't confirm this 100% of what was said between players and admin and coach and all that, but I heard that the, the players made the choice to play. They wanted to play. If nothing else, I would give Xavier credit for this. Even if they were like, we don't want to do this. We don't want to play another game in front of our home fail. Like, it, if they just went to the kids and said, hey, you are student athletes at the end of the game. This is still about you to some extent. If you seniors want to give it one more ride, we'll let you do that. You've earned that. You've sacrificed a lot to be a student athlete over your time here. But we'll, we'll let you do that. I'm, I'm fine with that. I know a lot of people disagree with me and say it's big time athletics. You got to make the best choice for you. But two things there. One, again, I think you, you probably, the seniors have earned that right, whether you feel it's the best or not for your program Two, And this is the more interesting part. And I think everybody realizes this isn't fun for me to talk about. It's not fun for you to talk about. We work with these people regularly. I've known Travis Steele for a long time, but there's no other way to talk about this program right now and not address the potential of Travis Steele losing his job. That's just where we're at in the situation. It's not fun. It is what it is, though. And I do think the fact that they would accept this NIT bid tells you that they're not in a rush to get rid of Travis Steele. He is not going to be fired right away. I think that's pretty obvious if you accept the NIT bid. Now, I will take that a step farther. I don't think it necessarily means there's no chance of any change happening, whether that means this year or in the future, but with an eye already on it. For instance, let me throw this out there to you. And maybe it's really not as much of a question for you because you're a very optimistic guy, and I know you'd be fine with Travis staying. But for all the people on the board who are have made their mind up and think Travis has to be gone, a lot of those same people seem to think former Xavier coach Sean Miller would be a great candidate and would be a guy that they should go after. Well, what if the admin already knows we need a little more information on Sean. We need certain guarantees or certain info back from the NCAA before we can make that hire. Otherwise, we might be putting a whole program at risk. We aren't, we're not going to know that before the NIT for certain. And heck, maybe it's a situation where it's not going to be this offseason because we can't make that hire yet. He's not available based on all the things hanging over his head with NCAA investigations. I think there's a world in which it makes sense for me to, as Xavier's admin look and say, I don't feel great about any of these other coaches coming in and clearly being the right guy to lead our program. I, I don't like. Dennis Gates would be a hot name right now who they're about to face on Tuesday night. I don't know that Jay Wright is worrying when Xavier hires Dennis Gates. Yeah. I don't think that makes a lot of waves in the right household. If Xavier hires Sean Miller, I think everyone in the league takes notice. So if that's what the admin is thinking right now, that we've got a real chance at getting a guy who we think is the right guy and a, a home run hire, but we can't do it right now then I think all of this makes a whole lot of sense in how they're handling it. Now, again, when you, to be yeah. clear, I am not saying that's happening. I just want to put that disclaimer. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but I am saying that for the people who are freaking out of like, how could they not be firing Travis right away? If this is the plan, 
would you be okay with that? You took the words right out of my mouth. When you say that I'm fine with Travis Steele being the head coach at Xavier for another year, that is exactly word for word what you just said exactly summarizes my view of this situation. Because if you're going to make a coaching change, to me, you're making that coaching change with one specific name in mind. I don't know what that name would be, but you are making that change knowing you are going to hire somebody specific and you're going to get your guy to lead this program for the next however many years. And if you can't get that guy, then I would be hesitant to blow it all up right now. That's where I stand on it. Um, But I'm not somebody that makes decisions or anything like that. So whatever they decide to do, I think they will take their time, evaluate it, look at it. I think Will Wade and what just happened down at LSU is going to play a huge role into this. I think for for two reasons. One, because of what the NCAA just uh, sanctioned him with and and what they hit LSU with. And to, to have to fire your head coach before they make the NCAA tournament, that is really bad. So that throws a wrench into it too. Plus, that's another open job. Now Florida is open as well. So, yeah, which, which he's already been tabbed by most of the Florida writers as a candidate, talking about Sean Miller uh, for yeah. that and Missouri. I've seen him for both jobs already as a candidate. Now, who knows how yeah. much conversation there is or any of that. But you're looking at three SEC jobs that are open right now that if you make a coaching change to Xavier, there are three high-profile jobs that Xavier would have to compete with right away, immediately, to make a hire. And by the way, there aren't obvious candidates for those jobs either. Like, same as there are for Xavier. We're all talking about the same pool of candidates right now. I was looking at like Matt McMahon, Dennis Gates for Florida, too. It's like the same guys that are going to be on our hot board if it ever comes to that. I'm going to flip it back to you, Rick, a little bit here. And not necessarily do you think Xavier would hire Sean Miller, but I'm going to ask you this. Do you think that Sean Miller would be a good hire for Xavier, in your opinion? I do. I do. I mean, as long as you feel confident that, you know, you're not going to be hit with some major sanctions after you bring this yeah. guy on because the NCAA wants to make an example of you, like you got to clear it on some level. And I think one thing I do know about Greg Christopher is he's very thorough. And I do think that he'll check all the boxes if they're going to make a decision like this. Now, when I first started hearing about it and it was getting brought up and everything. I kind of laughed at it initially. I didn't completely rule it out, but I also thought, I don't know if I can really see Xavier's, even like the members of the board and stuff like that. Think thinking Sean Miller is a good idea just based on the baggage. The people that I have talked to and some of them I feel are very conservative in their mindset, very much into the Catholic values. Think it matters how Xavier looks and how they're winning. Don't, just want to win at all costs. Those people didn't bat an eyelash when I said, does Sean's package give you pause? So I get the sense that he is hireable in the minds and eyes of most Xavier people. And in terms of whether or not he can coach, like, I don't think that's really up for debate. Now, I don't think he's quite yeah. the 
the guy that a lot of Xavier fans seem to believe he is, but I do think he would have success and he would get it rolling in, in the right direction pretty quickly. Do you think he would immediately be the second best coach in the big East behind Jay Wright? It's, a, it's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, that, that, that was my thing about the whole, when you name all these other names that might be on the hot board, it's not to say one of them couldn't be the right guy. Yeah. But do any of them instantly make you feel like, Oh yeah, we went from Travis Steele, but now we got this guy. Like things are, things are really looking up. It's like, uh, I can see Travis Steele being better than that guy. Ultimately he's Travis Steele's four years into this thing. Like he's going to go somewhere else. I know no one wants to hear that right now, but that's just being honest. Like uh, some of these guys that have had a little success at mid majors that everyone's going gaga over. I'm like, eh, we'll see. Obviously some of them are going to work out and some of them won't, but none of those names make me think, Oh wow. Xavier's got him. It's like, you know, Hopefully he's better than Patrick Ewing, basically. If you get Sean Miller, then it's like, oh, what's up, Jay? Yeah. Jay, Sean, Greg McDermott. That's about it. I mean, those are kind of the three names, I think, at that point, right? That yeah, Jocka that's, maybe uh, trying exactly. to get into the conversation here with what he's doing at Marquette, but he's got a little more to prove, I'd say. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It would be Sean, Jay, and Greg McDermott. That would be the three. Yeah, and everyone in the Big East, including Villanova, instantly would look around and go, oh, Xavier just hired Sean Miller like that. That would cause waves in every arena around the big East for sure. So I'm not saying everybody, yeah, we're we're getting people way too fired up on Miller train right now. Cause I do not like, I still think the the ultimate odds of this happening probably aren't very high because for one, they would have to make the decision to let Travis go. And for the second, they would have to make the decision that everybody was on board and okay to hire Sean. And both of those are big stretches. And they also might be the easier parts of the process. Like there's also the fact of you got to get it clear. You can't just make the hire without having any type of assurances or knowledge of what's going to happen between Sean and the NCAA. So there's that part of it too. Um, And then there's also, there's other jobs that are going to be open. So now I do think from everything I've heard, and I don't know Sean well, to be clear that he was gone before I started doing this. My first year doing anything with Xavier was Chris Mack's first year. And that was before I'd even taken the site over. So when I kind of got in with the coaching staff and like really made some contacts, this was long after Sean had gone a couple of years after Sean had gone. So I don't know him like that, but everything that I've heard from people who do know him and have some people in his circle, everyone seems to think he would love to coach at Xavier again. Do you think if Jeff Capel got fired at Pittsburgh, if that was to open, is, have you heard any, like, is that, would that be on the table? Obviously he played there. So yes. is that. So Capel will not get fired this year because of a buyout situation. He's got a huge buyout, but also from what I understand, Sean is not interested in Pittsburgh. Okay. I'll have more about that probably after the season officially comes to an end. I'll get, I'll give people on the message board some more insight here with what I've learned about the. I I've had a lot of conversations the last two weeks, as you might imagine. And there are some interesting things that came out of it. Some I think is fair to share right now. Like I am on this podcast. Some probably needs to be more paywalled message board stuff that isn't immediately online. And uh, some of it needs to be after the season is over, which by the way, a little plug, isn't it a a deal for the message board right now? Yeah. If you're hearing this on Monday, which it ends tonight at midnight, but if you're listening to this on Monday, you still got time to sign up 50% off crazy story, by the way, I I was uh, at a local bar, believe it or not. And uh, somebody came up to me and was like, hey, I listen to you and Paul on the podcast all the time. 
And I actually said, I listen to you and Dan on the podcast all the time. I was like, well, Dan doesn't do the podcast with me anymore, but thank you. I feel like you may, maybe don't listen all the time. If you think that he's like, <laughs> oh, no, no, I, like, I didn't notice you switched. He's like, I thought it sounded different. I was like, yeah, 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 it's Paul. So anyway, he, <laughs> he did not know that I run a website. He thought the podcast was it. Like he didn't know musketeerreport.com existed. And there was like a premium. He signed up right in front of me at the bar. It was it was greatest sales job I've ever done in my entire life. But like, yeah, so just wow. if, you, if you are listening to this podcast, I, maybe we don't mention enough. It's probably bad marketing on my part. Maybe we don't plug it enough. I try to not do that because I figure anyone that's listening knows about the website, but we have a website. And we, uh, there's a paywall. You can sign up. That we'll share some more information there. It's a little, a little bit more of a safe space when people don't immediately tweet it out. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my little story about the bar this weekend. So right on, right on the spot, you got him to sign up. Yeah, it was great. He, I mean, he, I thought he was lying and just didn't want to pay. But I was like, well, let's do it. And he, I mean, he pulled out his credit card right there and fired it up. I was like, hell yeah, brother. Got him fifty percent off. Did you go to the bar and buy him a beer? No, I didn't. He bought me a beer. Actually, it was great. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Thanks for, for the takes. Yeah, uh, I also probably should uh, give an apology to the two guys that were sitting in front of me on the plane yesterday on the ride home that were asking me about where Xavier stood on the bubble. And I told them that if Davidson beat Richmond, that Xavier would have a good shot to get in and then weren't even close. So if those two guys are listening to this, apologies. But I think all of that kind of blindsided us a little bit with how far they were off the bubble in the end. But if we're talking about people listening, I want to make sure I mention those two guys in there too. Uh, so let's move on a little bit to the strategy for Xavier in the NIT and what Xavier might be able to take away from playing in the NIT. Should Steele play the young guys? Should he experiment with new lineups, different styles of play? Should he maybe not risk playing a guy like Jack Nunji a lot who has had his share of injury issues and has looked a little worn down, but then are going to go into the offseason? Uh, what are you looking for out of the NIT, Rick? So I think I go back here to I'm assuming, and based on what I've heard, that they accepted this NIT bid at the request of the players. So if that's the case, that's a big that's a big thing. And I think that's a huge nugget for people listening to this. Yeah. And I think again, I'm for that. I know some other people are going to be hardos and be like, this is major division one athletics. You don't let the players run the the joint. What okay. I mean, fair fair enough. You can that's a fair opinion, I guess. But like ultimately, I I'll if that's what made the decision for Xavier, kudos to them for still making about the student athletes at least somewhat. I'd also think that means you let the seniors play. I mean, unless Paul Scruggs is like, no, nah, I'm done. I don't. I want nothing to do with this. Then Paul Scruggs should be out there as long as he wants. Jack Nungy isn't a senior, but he's he's the guy you've ridden all year. If he wants to be playing and competing in this game, you let him play. I don't really buy the idea that there's any sort of carryover effect from the NIT with one team to the following season with a different team, especially in the transfer portal era where you really are going to have a different team almost regardless from year to year. So the, the people are like, yeah, he needs to like change it up and start working towards next year or play the young guys. I don't think one game right now in the middle of March does anything for moving into next year. It just does. That's not reality. I mean, in terms of the like, they need to switch up everything they're doing and play for the future for this one essentially exhibition tournament. No, I, I don't. I don't agree with that. I think I think you probably play it fairly normally. Now, Grant, 
you cannot be playing anybody more minutes than they should be playing. If you have an overtime game or something, I you don't want to see Jack Nunji with 42 minutes on the board, right? Like, no, yeah. Uh, now, I don't think like the people are like, Jack gets injured sometimes. He shouldn't play much in this game. Well, I mean, he's going to continue playing basketball. His career doesn't end now. So, I mean, like, he, he can play. He's going to be fine. But yeah, don't play him 45 minutes in an overtime game, which is what you probably should have already been doing. So, in terms of the strategy, I think you play it to win it. I think you play it pretty normal. Now, is there a different type of look defensively you might want to throw out there against a Cleveland State team that doesn't really shoot from the outside and is going to try to backdoor cut you and bully you off the dribble? Maybe. Maybe because they might give you trouble the way they play man-to-man. So I I think there are reasons to think they might play a little bit differently in this game, but I don't think it's like throw everything out the window and start playing for next year for this one day in the middle of March. You started on it there. What can Xavier fans expect to see out of Cleveland State tomorrow night? Yeah. Or Tuesday night, depending on when you're listening to this. Well, I I do think it's kind of interesting that, you know, we're going to see Dennis Gates come to the CentOS Center, given that he's one of the top coaching prospects and everyone wants Xavier to be looking for a new coach. So that's Dennis Dennis Gates, Rick Patino, and Dayton all in the same bracket for Xavier. Plus, if you want to really stretch it, Belmont, who Adam Kunkel transferred from, uh, there's four potential little storylines underlying this bracket for Xavier in this tournament, depending on how far Xavier goes. Go ahead. Yeah, no, in in terms of uh, Cleveland State, they are the ultimate look at us and our culture type team. Every game they go to midcourt at halftime and at the end of the game and do like a little huddle, like a team circle with their arms around each other and they talk for a second. And, and but back when it was COVID last year and guys were allowed to like stand up on the benches and cheer because there were no fans in the building, they were like a female softball team doing actual cheers throughout the game and chants and stuff. They get into it. Uh, Gates is a big, it's all about my culture and my system and all that type of guy. So you'll notice that, I think. And in terms of how they play, not very skilled. They've got some tough, bigger athletic guards. They play a small lineup, though. They play like a 6'5 skilled four-man. And all of them are kind of similar in that they can defend. They're physical. They're tough. Demoy Hodge is kind of their – Tory Patton is their best player probably – but in this game against competition, Demoy Hodge is probably the guy to watch for more so. He was a JUCO transfer a year ago, and he's a little bit streaky, but he can, he can shoot from the outside. He's athletic. He was all defensive team this year, so he gives them a little bit more of a high major quality. Whereas Tory Patton's like a a six six forward that's not very athletic, so he may struggle a little bit more against Xavier. Um, and then they have a shot blocker inside, a six nine shot blocker inside. So they do have a little bit of legit. Division one size in there for a Horizon League team. Ultimately, I think the two big problems for Cleveland State against Xavier is going to be that they don't really shoot from the outside a whole lot. They rely on lots of two-pointers and lots of fouls. And that's usually a little bit more difficult when you're going against a high major team as a mid-major because typically the high major team is a little bit more athletic and they're not going to have to foul you as much to guard you and stuff like that. So that's what I would look out for. The second thing is that Cleveland State, especially with Deontay Johnson, their their shot blocker in the center, they don't rebound at all on the defensive end, like at all. So Xavier should be able to get them on the offensive glass. Jack Nungy should have a big game. I think ultimately that's probably where Xavier pulls away and wins it. But it's a a scrappy Cleveland State group. They'll fight you every second of the game. They'll do some full-court pressing probably. It'll be, it'll be an interesting matchup, but ultimately I think Xavier's size and, and inside play on the glass will win out. 
How excited are you to watch more Horizon League basketball? I, I will say I excited is the wrong word, but I went from really pretty pissed off that I had to write an NIT matchups article to, okay, at least it's Cleveland State. There's not a lot of research that has to be done there, right? Like uh, <laughs> I had to add some stats and stuff, but like I can, I can kind of tell you what all these guys are about because I've done that breakdown multiple times for NKU broadcast this year. Yeah. So Xavier will play Tuesday night at nine o'clock, or if you were listening last night to the Twitter spaces, maybe it's 9 a.m. At, uh, at the Indiana fairgrounds. But uh, that'll be nine at nine o'clock tomorrow night on ESPNU uh, at Tuesday night. And then if they win, uh, I believe it would be Sunday. And if they win again on that, it would be next week, I think Tuesday or Wednesday. And that could potentially be at Dayton, the higher seeds host the first three rounds and then the last two rounds are at Madison square garden. So if Xavier was to win three games, they would be right back at MSG in two weeks. Uh, Xavier will host the first two games. If they win, they would play Tuesday and then Sunday at Cintas. And then the next week would be Dayton would be hosting. If Dayton wins that far, otherwise it would be Xavier hosting because Dayton is the one seed. They're the only seed higher than them in that bracket. Uh, so there is a chance Xavier could go up to UD arena next Tuesday or Wednesday. I would be really interested in that game to see what the turnout would be. Like would, I'll would Xavier out. fan would Xavier, but yeah, I know Dayton it would sell, fans will sell that out sorry. on their own. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but, but would a lot of Xavier fans go up there and embrace that as like bringing the rivalry back or would they just write that off and say, uh, if Dayton wins, they would, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't know. I don't I know think how that there would are. Out. I think there are some old school people that like the rivalry that would just be nervous as hell, hoping Xavier wins. And so they will be yeah. fired up for it. It'll feel, they'll feel a little alive for the first time in a few weeks, for sure. Like they'll be, they'll, they'll be excited and nervous about that game and scared to death. That Xavier might lose it. I think that's the way most people look at it is, in a year like this, there's not a whole lot to be gained from playing NIT. So it would really probably come to just don't lose to Dayton. The season becomes just don't lose to Dayton. And yeah. in some ways, I could I could see that being a little bit of a moral victory for Xavier to like like the uh, Advocare Invitational in Orlando when they beat him by 30 in the finals. If Xavier yeah. were to go up to Dayton and curb stomp them again, I think that would be like a small 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 silver lining for some especially some of the older school fans yeah and then if they were to beat Dayton at UD Arena that would mean that they were going back to Madison Square Garden uh in two weeks so what what so let's get into the NID bracket what are, what are, are your we, thoughts on that are they going to make are, a run are we, or? are we about are we about to do some NIT bracketology why not you only get to do it every so often Look, Rick, I don't get invited to a lot of stuff, but when I get nationally invited to something, I'm going to lean right into it. And uh, let, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the National Invitational Tournament for a minute or two here. Uh, Xavier's bracket, we we uh, mentioned the, the other teams in it. Dayton's the one, the Dayton and Toledo. Then it's Vanderbilt and Belmont. I do like that the NIT does like geographic uh, matchups there. I, I think that makes it fun, adds a little bit of a storyline. But I say that as Florida and Iona play a team from Florida and the team from New York that Rick Pitino will coach against a Florida team that will be without its head coach because Mike White has left Florida to go over to Georgia and then Xavier and Cleveland State, Xavier, the two seed uh, playing Cleveland State, Xavier and 
Xavier, I'll, I'll pick Xavier to beat Cleveland State. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Iona beats Florida. I think that's the I'm I don't know that I don't think they've put the spreads out yet for the NIT. They had the NCAA spreads up right away, but I haven't seen NIT lines up yet. But I would not even be surprised if Iona's the favorite in that game, actually. Especially yeah. with Florida not having a coach. It's gonna be a small, small line. And, and Iona was the number one seed in their conference, and they lost in a shocking upset in the first round to Ryder in a game that came right down to the end of, of that game. And Iona was probably going to be a trendy pick in the NCAA tournament if they had made it. They're legit. And they've got the best coach of all time. Definitely and, the best living coach. And Rick Patino. Yeah. And to think Rick Patino could end up making a trip to Centos on Sunday would be uh that would that would draw some eyeballs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got Iona and Xavier in the second round in the in that part of the bracket. And then above them. You got Vanderbilt, Belmont. I, I like. I really like Vanderbilt to maybe win this whole thing. Uh, I think it's Vanderbilt, Dayton, and then Vanderbilt beats Dayton in the second round. I agree. I agree. I think Vanderbilt gets to that that third round game, and then it would be between yeah. Xavier and Iona to play them. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, honestly, it's hard for me to think that the Xavier team is going to win multiple games. I know that sounds crazy to say in the NIT, but just when you lose the way they did and you crumble the way they did and guys look somewhat detached uh, from the, the game, the way they did, it's hard for me to say they're going to win more than two games. I think I'll go Iona Vanderbilt in the, uh, in the semis there or the quarterfinals, I guess. Yeah. That's what I was going to pick too. Iona and Vandy. And then I'll pick Vandy to win that. Yeah. Vandy in the semis to MSG. Uh, who do we like coming out of the other portions of this bracket? You got Oklahoma as a one seed, North Texas as a two in the bottom, Mississippi State as the three, and Colorado as the four. I I don't like that Oklahoma team much. No, and a lot of people, there was a lot of Oklahoma love for the NCAA tournament as one of the last four in, and they got. I I just didn't see the metrics on Oklahoma. I didn't really see them to love them that much either. I I was. I was on the outs on Oklahoma, and so was the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. I do like North Texas. I feel like they got a bit of a tough draw. Yeah. I mean, having to go uh, Mississippi State, Virginia in the second round for North Texas isn't going to be easy as the two seed, but they're also playing for much more than anybody else here. Like, they'll care about this tournament way more than either of the ACC or SEC schools will. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. And then what about Colorado and the Bonnies? Bonnies had a tough year, too. Bonnies were yeah. supposed to be the the darlings there and didn't really pan out. Colorado had a lot of injuries. I think they're actually a little better than what their resume and their record suggests. I, I'd probably go Colorado, Oklahoma with Colorado winning and North Texas, Virginia. I, I hate this Virginia team. I do not want to pay. I'm just going to say North Texas beats them. I'm going to go North Texas, Colorado there in the quarterfinals with Screw it. North Texas. I'm going to go North Texas Vanderbilt in that semi on that side of the bracket. And you want to talk about Xavier being a one seed in the NCAA tournament in 2018. And then now here's where the program is. Virginia won the national championship in 2019 and is now unseated in the NIT. I'm not making a comparison to both programs yeah, here. Yeah, I was just saying, I'm not, I'm not gonna, sure the fans are going to feel gonna better do about that. that right now. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because obviously 
Tony Bennett is the head coach, so I'm not going to make the comparison. But I am going to say, looking at that bracket, that is it is a little interesting that you win the national championship two years ago and now you're unseated in the NIT. But go ahead. Both teams play the pack line. Just just saying. Both teams play the pack line. Arizona just quit playing it this year and they're doing pretty well. Just saying. Uh, in the other side of the bracket, upper portion, you got SMU as a one seed, BYU as a two seed, St. Louis as a three, Washington State as a four. This is the worst bracket, in my opinion, or the worst pod. Uh, I guess I guess I like SMU here. I'm picking you, Nichols. That's my one upset. Oh, really? I'm picking Nichols. Over yeah. SMU. All right. Well, I like BYU to get out of this bracket overall. So I, I do think, too. I think I'll end up with BYU and SMU go chalk and uh, BYU gets into the semis. I'm going to pick Nichols and BYU. I'll pick B and I'm going to pick BYU out of this whole bracket. Like, I, you know, I'll, I'll pick Northern Iowa and then I'll pick Washington State. Actually, you know what? No, Santa Clara. I'm going to pick the three unseated teams in BYU, but I'm going to pick BYU to get out of the whole thing. Okay. I like that. So right now we have got Vandy. I've got North Texas. I can't remember who you had in that bottom portion. I had uh, Colorado. All right. You got Colorado. I got North Texas and we both have BYU. And then the final pod, we've got Texas A&M as a one, Wake Forest as a two, VCU as a three, Utah State as a four. Oregon is also in this bracket unseated, believe it or not. Yeah. I like will, here? I, I like AM just based off the way they've been playing lately. Like I there's definitely something to be said for how they played in the SEC tournament. Agree. I think uh, Wake stinks. Yeah, I'm out on Wake. Uh I'll pick AM as the one seed to come out of this bracket. I don't know, I don't really know anything about Princeton this year. Uh, I know Princeton from years past, but I don't really know anything about Princeton from this year. Uh, so I'll just, I'm going to pick VCU just based on, just based on what I've seen out of them. Uh, and I'll pick Oregon over Utah state. All right. I like, I'm, I'm pretty much with you on all of those. I'm going to go VCU into the quarterfinals against Texas A&M. And I'm going to say Texas A&M wins it. So we're going to stay chalky here. Yep. Yep. Yep, All right, there I you go. Too. So Vandy, North Texas, BYU, and AM for me. I like BYU over AM on one side to get into the finals. And I like Vandy over North Texas on the other side to get in the finals. So I've got a Vandy and a BYU championship game. I'm gonna say Vanderbilt is your 2022 NIT champions. Well. I'm going to say Vanderbilt. Uh, let's see. We had Vanderbilt to beat Colorado. I think they beat Colorado. I'm going to pick AM to beat uh, BYU. So I'll play AM and Vanderbilt. I'll stay hot on AM and and pick them to win it. All right. Whether that whether whether anything from the SEC carries over or whether their SEC title game beat down against Tennessee matters at all. I'll pick Texas A&M. Not to be a Debbie Downer on this whole thing, but when we started that segment, I had a lot more momentum. And when we ended, I was like, that took way too long. It was not very interesting. So NIT Bracketology, <laughs> probably going to be one and done here on the podcast, if I'm being honest. That'll probably be the last time I break down an NIT bracket. Uh, it did not go as well as I was hoping. Um, but there you go. Those are our takes, since that's the tournament Xavier's playing in. 
Before we wrap up, though, Paul, I do want to it is I mean, it's Selection Sunday. It was Selection Sunday. We now know the brackets. It's the best week of the year. There's nothing better for basketball people, even if I know Xavier isn't playing this week for you guys. I know that stinks. Trust me. I with at the under 11 or the under 12 media timeout of the NKU championship game in the Horizon League. I'll admit I started looking up. Am I getting shipped to Portland or San Diego? Or, well, I'll probably be in Dayton for a play-in game, and then where will we go? That's what I was doing during the under-12 media timeout before NKU lost a 16-point lead and crumbled and uh, lost to Cleveland, lost to uh, Wright State. So I, I get the pain. It was a tough It was a tough 24 hours for this podcast, Tuesday and Wednesday. I texted you cool. after that Butler game. I go, whoa. Brutal. Yeah, it was tough. But so I get your pain, but it's no reason to not be excited about the best week of the year. The NCAA tournament is still awesome. So uh, quickly, Paul, what, were there any overarching thoughts on the NCAA bracket when it came out? Were there anything, anything that stood out to you, teams you like, whatever you want to talk about here? And so I'll give some takes here on the Big East, just because I know that's what everybody pays the most attention to, probably, uh, and is most concerned with going into this weekend. The one non-Big East take that I will say is I was surprised Tennessee was a three seed. I thought they would be higher than that. Um, As far as the Big East goes, a lot of the narrative around the Big East since realignment has been, can the Big East have some sustained success in the NCAA tournament? And this is a huge opportunity for the Big East to either slap that in the face or to maybe continue that narrative uh, because three of the six teams that made the NCAA tournament are an eight or a nine seed. Marquette's a nine seed playing North Carolina. Creighton is a nine seed playing San Diego State. And Seton Hall is an eight seed playing TCU. All of those are tough games. And I'm not sure a Big East team is going to be favored in any one of those. I know San Diego State is favored over Creighton, and or at least on Ken Palm they are. And North Carolina is favored over Marquette. So, and Seton Hall is certainly going to have a tough time with TCU. And then if you win those, you're going to be playing the one seed in the next round. That would be Seton Hall playing Arizona, Creighton playing Kansas, and Marquette playing Baylor. So the Big East, half of the Big East teams could very well be out by Saturday or Sunday night. And the other thing too, oh, go ahead, Ray. Who's, who's got the best chance of pulling the upset over a one if they make it? Marquette over Baylor is my pick. I was, yeah, but I'll I also was, probably have Marquette losing in the first round, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I think so too. I think North Carolina is going to beat Marquette. I, I just can't, I can't see any of these teams beating a one seed. Yeah. Maybe if you, maybe if you say Kalkbrenner has a really good game against Creighton or against Kansas, maybe, but I mean, I can't imagine th- those fans would have to love that in Omaha. That's got to be like an unbelievable game for them to play if they get Kansas. Yeah. Right. Like that's kind of a dream match. That was the them, first thing I saw in that, yeah. in that yeah. region of the country of like the way we look at UK or Duke here is how everyone out there views Kansas. I'm sure, you know, they are yeah. like the gold standard, the team you want to get a shot at. So I, I, I would say Creighton, Kansas would be a fun game. I just can't see Creighton winning it, if I'm being honest. And yeah, I don't see Seton Hall beating Arizona. No, absolutely. I, I'm not sure I see Seton Hall beating TCU. That's fair. Yeah, all these all of these teams could very well lose in the first game. I'll tell you one game I am not going to pick a Big East team losing that everyone else in the world is. I'm picking Providence to win their first round matchup. They're going to be the trendiest upset pick maybe of all time this year. Uh, I think they're going to win. I do think they're going to beat South Dakota State. 
Are they going to beat the Big Ten champion, Iowa? Probably not. Iowa's hot. Probably not. The crazy thing is, Iowa, I know they can't play any defense, but it's like these guys, I'm not so sure they can't go to the Final Four looking at the way that's set up for them. Yeah. So that would be four of the six Big East teams, boom, out, done, right there, if they can't make a run. Well, and in fairness, that's kind of what the, the Big East is right now. Like, you had uh, the guy from the Villanova podcast on your spaces last night. And he brought up the point that what the Big East is missing right now is that second top tier team that's consistently like a legit top 15, 20 team in the country to go with Villanova and is going to compete consistently. He's right. It's Villanova and then a bunch of teams that every now and then they can have a good year and get up into, into the, you know, maybe a top three seed, top four seed, something like that. But for the most part, it's Villanova and a bunch of really solid high major teams that are end up in the seven to 10 range, to be quite honest. Yep. That's what the Big East conference is right now. It's a good league, but it, it, he's right that it is very just everybody kind of bunched together in the middle. There's not anyone else up there at the top with Villanova. And that's kind of what they're missing in terms of if they're going to grow the brand and make people respect them in the NCAA tournament. That's the missing piece pretty much is having a second team that can actually make a run. Now, I could see Connecticut getting to the Sweet 16. I think that's set up decently for them. Arkansas and Vermont's going to be a really intriguing first-round game. Uh, but I could see Connecticut getting past either one of them if they can beat New Mexico State. And I think of the Big East teams, Villanova got the best draw. I think Villanova playing Delaware in round one and then potentially either Loyola Chicago or Ohio State in round two that's a great draw. And then totally agree. Maybe Tennessee a, in the next maybe, round. Maybe, maybe Tennessee or, or Colorado State. And either one of them, I think Villanova beats either one of them. So you're talking about Villanova back to the Elite Eight. And then that would be a wildcat matchup, Arizona and, and yep. Villanova. I Villan- was, I was I, all, go ahead. I, I was out on Villanova being like, oh, they, they're an Elite Eight Final Four team this year. I didn't think that of them, especially because of their center position and, and what they have there looking the way the bracket sets up they could very easily be the team that comes out of that entire region and makes the final four which would be hilarious given that this was the year that all year long everybody was saying ah this isn't this isn't the villanova right. team that really we know of and i don't disagree with that to some extent that like they the, the fact that they just have a glaring hole at the center position with dixon is like almost everyone they play in the tournament you're gonna be like oh they they're at a disadvantage at the center again. You know what I mean? They have no depth yeah. there either. So it's like they do have a glaring weakness, whereas their other teams have not. And that's why I've somewhat agreed with that take, but they've been solid all year. And yeah, I mean, if all you're asking them to do is beat Ohio state and then like Tennessee, Colorado state, or honestly, I could even see Michigan make it to the sweet 16 out of that little group right there. Yeah. Then yeah. Villanova has a very good chance to get the elite eight. And then you're talking about either someone upsets Arizona or Villanova pulls that upset in the Elite Eight for a trip to the Final Four. I don't think that's impossible. As good as Tommy Lloyd's done, I don't think this Arizona team is like a juggernaut and an, and an impossible one seed to to take. No, down. but are there? But are any of them? I mean, I'm going to pick Arizona to win the national championship. You are. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to pick them to beat UK in the title game. Okay, so I'm going to have Gonzaga and UK in the final four on that side playing each other. I'm going to have Gonzaga winning that. And then I think I'll actually probably have Auburn coming out of the other side and it'll be really, yeah. And it'll be Gonzaga Auburn championship with Gonzaga winning. 
Okay. I was going to pick uh, the all wildcat final four. And I think, I think Arizona now a little bits on Kirk Creesa and whether he comes back that my, my take there could be all Nolan void. So let's put a little asterisk there on that take to know whether he's going to come back and play. He, he posted that picture of his ankle last night, which looked gross, horrific, terrible, not safe for work. If anybody goes and looks that up right now, but uh, it was, it was awful. But uh, if he comes back and is available and plays at hundred percent, Arizona is a really, really, really good team. Um, Rick, any other, any other thought, anything else, anything big? No, I think, I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, So final four, I've got Gonzaga, Kentucky, Houston, Auburn with Gonzaga beating Auburn in the championship. What did you have as your final four? I had Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona, and uh, I I, I was I was going to pick Iowa, I think. I don't know if that's what I'm I haven't like gone through game by game and done the whole bracket yet. So that could change by by Thursday at 1159 a.m. But just like looking at it on paper real fast. I'm going to say Arizona, Iowa, and then Kentucky and Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona, and Arizona wins. Uh, see, I'm like, you. I do the same thing. It's like I, I look at it this day while I'm doing all these radio shows and TV hits and stuff, and it's like, uh, who's your final four picks? And I just name something quickly after reading it. And then I actually go back and like start looking at some of the matches. I was like, oh, wait. This team ranks 340th in defensive rebounding percentage or something. Yeah. It's like, never mind. I'm changing that. So like I always end up with a different bracket or picks than what I what I yeah. give out on air. But yeah, for right now, I like Gonzaga, Kentucky, Houston, and Auburn as my final four. So the one random game that I think in the first round will be interesting storyline-wise is LSU and Iowa State. Because LSU is going to be without their head coach, Will Wade, because he just got fired. Right. And then Iowa State, Sucks. who had a just bizarre year started off so strong and then just I collapsed maybe a little too strong because they're in the NCAA tournament but they they were terrible in big 12 play they were really bad for as well as they played in the non-conference season uh that'll be an interesting one for me to watch on on uh the first weekend but on on day one I don't know if they're Thursday or Friday but that'll be uh, a first round game I if you're going up to Dayton and you're picking between Tuesday and Wednesday, I know IU fans will be crazy on Tuesday playing Wyoming, but how about those Wednesday night games, Bryant and Wright state and Rutgers and Notre Dame. That'll be a fun Wednesday night at UD arena. Yeah. I mean, Wright state fans will sell out UD arena themselves. Yeah. Like they have the second best attendance in the horizon league. They probably do about 3000 ish fans for a normal home game. But I mean, it's not uncommon for them to get, six or 7,000 for a, for a home game either. So at UD with some other teams buying some of those, uh, those session tickets, that's going to be 100% sold out and it's going to be a loud environment for Brian. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks to everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. A lot of information here, jam packed. Uh, if Xavier is still playing Rick, I would assume we would do another podcast next week because Xavier would have played, two games by that point yeah i think we'll probably do another podcast either way if, if you have availability okay. just so we can wrap yeah. up and there, there's a few more things that i think are a little more fair to talk about once the season is once the finalized over. yeah okay um so look for another podcast again next monday just like normal um and again Xavier will be in the nit tomorrow night espnu nine o'clock at centos against cleveland state thanks for listening everybody